Chapter 18 of Idiala. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Idiala by Sarah Grand. Chapter 18. In the days that followed, a singular change came over Idiala. No external circumstance affected her. She moved like one in a dream. Thought had ceased for her. All life was one delicious sensation, and at times she could not bear the delight of it in silence. She would tell it in low songs in the twilight. She would make her piano speak it in a hundred chords and it would burst forth from her in some sudden glow of enthusiasm that made people wonder, the apparent cause being too slight to account for it. While this lasted, nothing hurt her. She saw the sufferings of others unmoved. She met her husband's brutalities with a smiling countenance, and bore the physical discomfort of a bad sprain without much consciousness of pain. And she knew nothing of time and never asked herself to what she owed this joy. The utter forgetfulness of everything that came upon her when she was alone was almost incredible. One evening she spent two hours in walking a distance she might easily have done in forty minutes. She had been to see a sick person, and when she found herself in the fresh air, after having spent some time in a small, close room, the dreamlike feeling came over her and her spirit was uplifted with inexpressible gladness. The summer air was sweet and warm. A light rain was falling, and she took off her hat and wandered on looking up, but noting nothing, and singing Schubert's Hark, Hark, the Lark to herself, softly as she came. A man standing at a cottage door begged her to go in and shelter. She looked at him, and her face was radiant. The raindrops sparkled on her hair. He was only a working man, clay and common clay. But the light in her eyes passed through him, and the memory of her stayed with him, a thing apart from his daily life, held sacred and not to be described. A man might live a hundred years and never see a woman like that. I did not know it was raining, she said. It is only light rain, and the air is so sweet, and the glow down there in the west is like heaven. How beautiful life is! Ay, lady, he answered, and stood there, spellbound, watching her as she passed on slowly, and listening to her singing as she went. A few days later she saw Lorimer again. She found him in his room this time. He knew she was coming, and flushed with pleasure when he met her at the door. Idiala was not nervous. It all seemed a matter of course to her now. The books he had got for her from the library were where she had left them. He placed a chair for her beside his writing table, and then went on with his own work. She had understood that she was to read in the library, but she did not think of that now. She simply acquiesced in this arrangement, as she would have done in any other he might have made for her, 
a secretary was busy in another part of the room when she entered but after a while he left them then lorimer looked up and smiled you are looking better today he said tell me what you have been doing since i saw you lotus eating she answered how lovely the summer is since i saw you i have wanted to do nothing but rest and dream you have been happy then yes is he kind to you oh he he is just the same there is no change in my life the change is in me then you mean to be happy in spite of him i call that the beginning of wisdom I know two other ladies who hate their husbands, and they manage to enjoy life pretty well. And I don't see why you should be miserable, always because you happen to have married the wrong man. How was it you married him? Were you very much in love with him? No, not in the least. Spoony, then? Not even spoony, as you call it. I was very young at the time. Very young girls know nothing of love and marriage. Very young, he repeated thoughtfully. He was drawing figures with his pen on the blotting paper before him. But why did you marry him, then? I can give you no reason, except that I was not happy at home. You all say that, slipped from him, with a gesture of impatience. I wish I had been more original, said Idiala. She took up her book again, and he resumed his writing, and for some time there was silence. But Idiala's attention wandered. She began to examine the room, which was, as usual, in a state of disorder. One side of it was lined with cabinets of various sizes and periods. Labels indicated the contents of some of them. Only one picture hung on that side of the room, it was the portrait of a gentleman, but several others stood on the ground against the cabinets. The walls were painted some dark color. A Japanese screen was drawn across the door, and beside it was a hard, narrow settee, covered with dark green velvet. Books were piled upon it, and heavily embroidered foreign stuffs, and near it a number of Japanese drawings stood on a stand. The mantelpiece was crowded with an odd mixture of china and other curios, all looking as if they had just been unpacked. Above it, another picture was hung, a steel engraving. The writing table by which they sat was nearly in the middle of the room. In the window was another table, covered also with a miscellaneous collection of curios, and on every other available article of furniture books were piled. The high backs of the chairs were elaborately carved, the seats being of the same green velvet as the settee. A high wire guard surrounded the fireplace, and this unusual precaution made one think that the contents of the room must be precious. The occupants of this apartment might have been an artist, a man of letters, or a virtuoso, probably the latter. But whatever he was, it was evident that his study was a workshop, and not a showroom. From the room, Idiala looked to her companion. He was writing rapidly, 
and seemed absorbed in his subject. He was frowning slightly. His face was pale and set, and he looked older by ten years than when he had spoken last, and seemed cold and unimpassioned as a judge. But Idiala thought again that the face was a fine one. Presently he became conscious of her earnest gaze. He did not look up, but every feature softened, and a warm glow spread from his forehead to chin. It was as if a deep shadow had been lifted, and a younger but less noble man revealed. "'How you change!' Idiala exclaimed. "'Not from day to day, but from moment to moment. You are like two men.' I wish I could get behind that horrid veil of flesh that hides you from me. I want to see your soul. He smiled. You are getting tired, he said. Do let me persuade you to come and have some lunch. When you begin to speculate, I know you have done enough. But Idiala could not go through the ordeal of who should pay for lunch again. She preferred to starve. The camaraderie between them was mental enough to be manlike already, but only as long as there was no question of material outlay. Mayn't I stay here and read, she said. I can have something by and by, when I want it. Do go and leave me. And he was obliged to go at last, wondering somewhat at her want of appetite. When he returned, she was still working diligently and they spent the rest of the afternoon together, reading, writing, and chatting, until it was time for Idiala to go. Lorimer saw her into her train, and fixed another day for her to return and go on with her work. And so the thing became a settled arrangement. Whenever she could spare the time, she went and worked beside him, and he was always the same, kindly, considerate, helping her now and then, but not, as a rule, interfering with her. She just came and went as she pleased, and as she would have done had he been her brother. Sometimes they were alone together for hours. Sometimes his secretary worked in the room with them, and always there were people coming and going. There was nothing to suggest a thought of impropriety, and they were soon on quarreling terms, falling out about a great many things which is always the sign of a good understanding. But after the first, they touched on no dangerous subject for a long time. At last, however, there came a change. Idiala noticed one day that Lorimer was restless and irritable. "'Am I interfering with your work today?' she said. "'Do tell me. Any other day will suit me just as well.' "'Oh, no,' he answered. "'I am lazy, that is all. H "'How are you getting on?' Let me see. And he took the paper she was engaged upon and looked at it. She watched him and saw that he was not reading, although he held it before his eyes for some time. He was paler than usual, and there was a look of indecision in his face, very unlike its habitual expression, which was serene and self-contained. Looking up all at once, he met her eyes, fixed on him frankly and affectionately, but he did not respond to her smile. "'How do you suppose all this is going to end?' he said abruptly. 
won't it do she answered thinking of her paper had i better give it up or rewrite it he threw the paper down with a gesture of impatience and got up and then as if ashamed of his irritability he took it again and gave it back to her in doing so his hand accidentally touched hers how cold you are he said let me warm your hands for you they are benumbed she answered letting him take them and rub them. After a moment, he said, without looking at her, Do you know, it is very good of you to come here like this. Why, she asked, it suits my own convenience. I know, but it is refreshing to find someone who will suit their own convenience so. That sounds as if it were not the right thing to do, she exclaimed. Nonsense, he answered. You misunderstand me. Idiala withdrew her hands hastily and half rose. What is the matter, he said. Come, don't be idle. You should have mastered that book by this time. But Idiala was disturbed. I can't read, she said. Tell me what you thought of me when I came to you that first day. I fancied you were old and I have been afraid since, in spite of your cousin's suggestion, that you may have considered it odd of me to introduce myself like that. Oh, it is quite customary here, he answered. But even if it had not been, we can't all be bound by the same common laws. The ordinary stars and planets have an ordinary course mapped out for them, and they daren't diverge an inch. But every now and then a comet comes and goes its own eccentric way and all the lesser lights wonder and admire and let it go. That would be very fine for us if only we were comets among the stars, she said. Oh, you might condescend to claim a kindred with them, he answered lightly. The only heavenly body I ever feel akin to is one of those meteors that flash and fall, she said. They go their own way too, do they not? And are lost. There is no question of being lost here, he interposed. The most scrupulous have made an exception in favor of one person, and the world has not blamed them. After having endured so much, you are entitled to some relaxation. I should do as I liked now if I were you. She looked at him inquiringly. It seemed as if he were not expressing himself but trying the effect of what he said upon her. He was sitting in his usual place now, drawing figures on the blotting pad. You have read, I suppose, he added, after a pause and without looking up. I wish I had never read anything, she exclaimed passionately. I wish I could neither read, write, nor think. But the trouble now was, if only she could have recognized it, that she did not think. She only felt. She got up and went to the mantelpiece. He remained where he was, sitting with his back to her. Presently, she began to look at the china, absently at first, but afterwards with interest. There were some new specimens, just unpacked and all crowded together. What a lovely lotus leaf, she said at last. Satsuma, I suppose. No, Kyoto. But what a good specimen. And it is broken, too. 
What a pity. I should so like to mend it. Would you? he said, rousing himself. Then you shall. He went to one of the cabinets and got out the materials, and in a few minutes they were bending busily over the broken plaque, as interested and eager about it as if no subject of more vital importance had ever distracted them. They were like two children together, often as quarrelsome, always as inconsequent, happy hard at work, and equally happy idling, apt to torment each other at times about trifles, but always ready to forget and forgive, and with that habit in common of forgetting everything utterly but the occupation of the moment. They talked on now for a little longer, but not brilliantly. They were both considered brilliant in conversation. But somehow on these occasions neither of them shone. I suppose when two such bright and shining lights come together, they put each other out. Then it was time for Idiala to go. A bitter wind met them in the face on their way to the station, and before they had gone far, Idiala noticed that Lorimer's mood had changed again. His face grew pale, his step less elastic, his manner cold and formal. All the brightness, all the sympathy which made their intimacy seem the most natural, because it was the pleasantest thing in the world to Idiala, had gone. He was like a man seized with a sudden fit of remorse, disgusted with himself, and moved to repent. "'I should bear with your husband if I were you,' he said at last, breaking the silence. "'He behaves like a brute, but I dare say he can't help it. "'A man can't help his temperament, and probably you provoke him more than you think.' Iriala was surprised. It was so long since they had mentioned her husband. I fear I am provoking, she answered humbly. But how am I to help it? I have tried so hard, and for so long to be patient. I only want to do right. They were parting then, and he looked down at her in silence for some seconds. And when Iriala saw the expression of his face, her heart sank. In that one moment, she realized all that his friendship had been to her, and foresaw the terrible blank there would be for her if it should ever end. That there was any danger, that there could be anything but friendship between men and women who must not marry, had not even yet occurred to her. Her intimacy with myself had prepared the way for Lorimer, and made this new intimacy seem also perfectly right. "'What is the matter with you today?' she said. "'What spirit of dissatisfaction has got hold of you?' "'I am dissatisfied,' he said, raising his hat and brushing his hand back over his hair. Then he looked at her. "'Why don't you help me?' he asked. "'How can I help you?' she answered. I don't understand you. You ought to. I wish to goodness you did. And then his face cleared. But you will come again, he added in the old way. I shall expect you soon. And so he let her go. 
and Idiala was glad because an unpleasant jar was over. She did not trouble herself about his private worries. If he wished her to know, he would tell her. Lorimer had a temper, but then she had known that all along, and Lorimer was Lorimer. That was all about it. End of chapter 18